good afternoon and good evening to everyone out there listening from our broadcast studio here at Radio 1190. This is the Howell Stern Wednesday evening sports talk show. Chase, how are you, how are you doing today? I know you were at a political rally earlier. You've had a busy day. Is it nice to just be in a silent environment where you can just talk sports? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, Jack. Got to be honest with you. I, I have some thoughts on this CU football team, and I'm yeah, ready, we, we ready have, to get them out. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. We'll recap the team's second loss of the season against the Washington Huskies, and we'll look ahead to the rest of the season. They have a big game coming up this weekend for homecoming week against the Oregon State Beavers, and then we'll talk about how this team can win the Pac-12 South because as rough as the past two weeks have been, they still do have an opportunity. So we'll talk about the road to doing that. The Denver Nuggets are looking like the team to beat at least in the area. They're off to a really hot start. They're 4-0, which included a 100-98 win over the defending champion Golden State Warriors. We'll get into that. And then the Denver Broncos, they've had a good week, but as with everything that's been happening with them, it's been an interesting one as well with the Chad Kelly arrest and subsequent subsequent release coming this week. So we'll, we'll touch on all of that in the next hour. But let's start with the Buffs. Another tough loss to the Washington Huskies, 27-13. I predicted it would be 28-13, so I was off by just one point. But regardless... The defense. Good came, on you, Jack. Yeah, I was. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a bragger, so I'm not going to beat the dead horse too much there. But listen, the defense looked really good. They came up big once again. They had a big forced fumble late in the game on Chico, Chico McClatcher, deep in Buffs territory. I don't think. The, I don't think. I didn't think they were the. They were the issue on Saturday. No, I didn't think so at all. They played well enough to win. For sure, they were going up against very good offense. Obviously, they were missing one of their top weapons in Miles Gaskin which hurt that Huskies offense. But on the other side, the Buffs were missing Delrick Abrams, and against a really good receiving core, they certainly held their own. Right, and yeah, they did enough to win, that's for sure. I don't think there's any reason to put any blame on the defense at all. I do, I will say this, I think the defensive line could have gotten a little bit more pressure on Jake Browning at certain points, and I think that they could have been better stopping the run. They let up over 200 yards on the ground to... Um, Savan Ahmed and Sean McGrew. I mean, that's that you, you need to do a little bit better in stopping the run. Yeah, that was one of the things for me. Is I, I thought if the Huskies were running the ball a little bit earlier, that they probably could have ran away with that game, and it wouldn't have been so close when we got to the fourth quarter. But once they did get to the fourth quarter, they still ran it well, and that's kind of what iced the game for them. So, yeah. so they ended up using it to their advantage. But um, I thought the defensive line played – Pretty well. I knew that they'd probably get dominated. Huskies have a really good offensive line. Yeah. So they didn't get maybe as dominant as dominated as I expected, which yeah. helps my opinions on them. One guy whose name it seems like we talk about every week and who looked excellent once again, the anchor of that defense, Mustafa Johnson. And I, I don't I don't want to leave him out because I think it would be a disservice. Nate Landman once again once again led the team in tackles. It seems like those two guys are the meat of this defense at this point in the season. And what's so big is that Johnson, last year they really didn't have a guy who could get pressure on the quarterback the way Johnson has. I know the line struggles as a whole to do that, but Mustafa's really filled that void nicely, and that's something that you need to do if you want to be successful as a defense. Right, that was something that they weren't able to do at all last year. They, they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback, they couldn't stop the run, they weren't getting tackles for loss. That's something that 
Mustafa Johnson has been able to come in and make an impact right away. I would like to see them be able to get a little bit more pressure on the edge from Carson Wells. And not, and not have to Davion bring Taylor. and not to have to bring, you know, seven or eight guys to blitz the quarterback. It would be nice if they could do that with six. Right. A lot of the times they yeah. get pressure is off of these blitzes. DJ Elliott has started to blitz a lot, a lot more than we saw last year, which has helped them at times and then has obviously hurt them at times like we saw in that fourth down that iced the game for for the Huskies. Yeah, but as a whole, I think the defense has been pretty solid as of re- recent. I know they got beat a couple times against USC and got thrashed in, in the running game at times, but I don't think they're the reason CU has lost the past two games. On the flip side of the ball, the offense is completely sp- uh, sputtered. This team that had 37.8 points per game through their first five wins have averaged 16 and a half the past two. And in the Pac-12, that's just not going to cut it. No, it's not going to win you football games. The defense has played well enough for, for them to win. This is an offense that should be in the high 20s just about every game now. They have played two of the best defenses in the Pac-12, two really good defensive lines, which seems to hurt the Buffs with their only weakness really being that offensive line. So there is some reason to make some excuses there, but the offense just hasn't been good enough. Yeah, see, to me, I think this is a multi-dimensional, multi-faceted issue. There's really problems at all three levels, right? The offensive line can't get enough good blocking to give Montez time to throw. They can't really open up enough running games to get uh, running lanes to get McMillan and Kyle Evans going. And the receivers have had a tough time getting open and gaining separation, especially against Washington. Daniel Arias had that great touchdown on the opening drive of the game, but the rest of the way they only scored six points. So, I mean, they, they, need, to, they need to score more. Yeah, and they, they really didn't take many shots after that. They tried another one to Arias a little bit later in the game, I think in maybe the third quarter that was woefully underthrown. But yeah. they really didn't make take any shots at all in that game, and I think that's partly just because of the protection Chev doesn't trust that the offensive line will be able to allow them allow these routes to develop and give enough time for Montez to find that deep guy. And I kind of think that's why we don't see the balls over the top as much. Yeah, I was going to talk about the receivers, but we'll do that in a second. While we're on the topic of offensive line, I want to ask you, at this stage in, of the season, do you just roll with the starting five you've been running out there every week? Because I think it's a little bit important at least to have some continuity and some consistency out there so Montez understands what he's going to get. But at the same time, would you say this isn't good enough and I'm going to try to run some other guys out there, maybe Kerry Cush? who we saw a little bit in the UNH game, gets more playing time. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's just we see more of a rotation. I think it's a tough dilemma. We, we've we seen Clayton Adams rotate the line quite a bit. We've seen true freshman Frank Phillip, Frank Phillip play quite a bit at right tackle. Yeah. A few drives a game is what it seems like. They do rotate it, but at the same time, you kind of want that same five. You want them to be able to communicate, know, know where each other is is but these guys just aren't winning their one-on-one battles and so whatever five you put out there whether they communicate or not they're still going to continuous continuously get get beat and that's the problem with them right now and and to be honest with you i don't think the tackle position is the main problem on this line at this stage i think it's the interior the guards Mm -hmm. and the centers that are really struggling the most because that's where montez is feeling the majority of the pressure I would like to see Phillip at right tackle a little bit more. And I like Sherman. I think Sherman should be a lock to start at left tackle. I think he's much better than Hagler and Kaiser. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they go doing forward there. But at the receiver, 
you yeah. just yeah once you get inside it, it looks a lot more difficult yeah. and Colby Purcell has played okay at times he hasn't looked great yeah the two guards they really just don't know who to play there and it, yeah. it would really help if Jake Moretti was healthy I think that would make a big difference for this offensive line because you have at least one position that's solidified but yeah. if he, he just can't get his foot healthy see we the the time we've seen Moretti out there, he's been at tackle, but I think he's more of a natural guard, just given looking at his stature and that type of thing. I think he's more of a guard, but I think he could really help out as well because Brett Tons in particular is the one who struggled a lot. And I hate to say it because he's a great guy and all, and you know he's good in the locker room and good all-around person, but it's not just with getting beat. It's the penalties that have absolutely killed them from with him. Yeah, he's one of those that plays with anger, which you you like to see in your offensive linemen. You want them to get a little bit mean, but at times he's been getting unsportsmanlike penalties, obviously, the holding penalties. Same with Josh Kaiser. He, that guy can't stop getting holding penalties called on him. It seems like it, it's at least one at every single game. And these guys are the veterans on the offensive line, and they're the ones that are making the mistakes, which is probably the most surprising part of this offense. Yeah, at this point with Steven, do you think he kind of feels the pressure coming and it's making him a little bit more panicky? Because the past two weeks, we've kind of seen the Steven of old who stands in the pocket, stares down his number one feed uh, read, and then gets kind of happy feet a little bit, starts moving around, and then throws the ball away or tries to run or, you know, something where the play breaks down to that nature. I, do you think at this point he's just, like, scared back there and... Yeah, I don't think he trusts the line enough to be able to go through his reads. He he doesn't want to go to a second once his primary isn't open just because he knows he, he might get sacked or it's likely that he will get sacked. He, he, he backs out, tries to find a guy, and he hasn't been that good scrambling. He, he usually is pretty good on the run, but he just hasn't been able to find guys. Yeah. And that, that's been the problem with this offense. If the primary isn't open, which – these defenses have gotten comfortable with the CU offense. They pretty much know where the primary is every play. And then Montez isn't able to go to his second read, and that's how this offense gets blown up. Yeah, that's an excellent point. At his press conference earlier in the week where both Chase and I had an opportunity to talk to him, he told us that he thinks he needs to do a little bit of a better job going through all of the reads and not getting stuck, which is kind of the problem he faced last year. But with this offensive line, you think that's the thing that's preventing him from doing that. He just is scared to turn around and look because he thinks he might get sacked or more pressure is going to come from his blind side or something like that. Yeah, I think it's in his head for sure. He he knows that at least somebody's going to get free in, in his face. I think it, we'll see a big change this weekend because they play a lot worse competition. He won't be as worried about rushers in his face and and that kind of stuff because this Oregon State defense just isn't that good. So I think we will see a lot different offense this week because Montez will just look comfortable out there. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see if he cuts it loose a little bit more. He certainly said he would, but as you know, sometimes these guys will try to throw up smoke screens or you know not be completely honest. Anyway, we'll talk about Oregon State in a second and the Nuggets had to start later on. But for now, I want to talk about the receiving core. Since uh, LaVisca Chenault has been out, they've struggled mightily. And I don't think personally that it's a lack of talent out there. I think Arias, um, Stanley, Jalen Jackson, all these guys have really bright futures with the teams. Is it a function of play calling or is it uh, these guys just not being able to get enough separation for Montez? Or is it something else? Maybe he's not, you know, looking them down. I think it's a little bit of both. I I don't think they're getting the proper separation, but 
Katie Nixon has been open at times. It just seems like Montez isn't able to get it to him. And then Jawan Winfrey just didn't really look like he's fully healthy yet, which you, you got to kind of expect at this point. But I do yeah. think that they had to play him with LaVisca being out and stuff because he, he can make plays when healthy. They just weren't able to get him the ball because he wasn't able to create any separation on, on these defensive backs. And part of it is that Washington and USC have very good defensive backs. Yeah. So I think we'll see a little bit more separation as they play some worse teams. But, yeah, those two combined, and then you not having Visca out there, you not having a guy that the defense is worried about, I think that and hurts you as well. puts three defenders on pretty much every play. I think that definitely contributes to it as well. But I'm, I'm interested to see how they play it this week. I know they're going to run the ball a lot because Oregon State's defense is ranking last in the country in rush, run, running defense. But – I, I don't know. I kind of want to see what these guys are capable of because that's that. This is pretty much the future of the program, so to speak. You know what I mean? So um, it's interesting in that regard. But looking ahead, let's let's preview Oregon State. They have the best running back in the conference in true freshman Jamar Jefferson. He didn't play last week. He had a little bit of a quad injury. The quarterback situation is murky to say the least. With Jake Luton still a little bit banged up and Connor Blount. Uh, Blunt going through the concussion protocol. I think the but there's no reason the Buffs shouldn't blow them out this weekend uh, in front of the homecoming packed cr- crowd. I mean, I just think they're going to be they're gonna, their offense is going to break out of this little bit this slump that they're having. Um, they're going to take some deep shots down the field. They're going to try maybe some trick plays where we see an end around reverse and a receiver make a throw. I, I, I think they're they're, they're going to break the slump. They'll be able to run the ball a lot better too. Just yeah. Playing worse competition just helps so much because yeah. they have a worse defensive line. They also have worse cornerbacks. The wide receivers will be open more. They'll be able to run the ball a lot better. This offensive line won't look as scared. Montez won't look as scared. Yeah, McMillan will be able to find some holes. So, yeah, I think there's no reason why they wouldn't be able to put up 30, maybe even 40 points on this Oregon State defense. That's just not very yeah. good. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. They're giving up... 38.9 points a game and over 400 yards. They gave up 70 to Ohio State in week one. Yikes, right? <laughs> I, I mean, that sounds like a basketball score. 70 to 35. Yeah, a Power 5 team shouldn't give up 70 no, points. No, unless I don't care. Unless you play in the Big 12, maybe. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, I don't know. This is just a program. I think there's brighter pastures ahead. I think they could potentially present a struggle to the Buffs on the defensive side of the ball. They have some really good wide receivers. And Timmy Hernandez, Isaiah Hodgins, who is a four-star recruit that the Buffs were looking heavily at. And But, I mean, I'm, I just think there's too much of an unknown at the quarterback position for them to move the ball down the field consistently. And their offensive line has been absolutely abysmal despite how good their running game is. So I think that... The, the Buffs are going to be able to hold them. Score prediction-wise, I'm taking CU to win 37-13. to 13. I'm right there with you. I've, I think I had 34-10 on Buff Stampede. Yeah. I, I'd even go like 38-10. Yeah. I do think Oregon State can score some points, especially if Jamar Jefferson looks healthy and is running wild out there. It's, CU, it's, CU has... Yeah. Struggled stopping the run. There's no secret about that. No. They've been a lot better been, this year, been better this than year, they yeah. were last year. But I do think Jamar Jefferson, if he's healthy, 
will be able to get 100-plus yards. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to what we saw a few weeks ago with Eno Benjamin. He's going to break off a couple of big runs. He's going to be able to – if he can bounce it to the outside, that's going to be huge. I expect to see him to pick up some yards. But I don't think he's going to be the backbreaker in this one. At least he shouldn't be with how bad their defense is. The quarterback situation will be interesting. Yeah. If – Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, there's there's not uh, Jake Luton's career uh, collegiate career has been mirrored by injuries, right? He didn't play. He played all. He only played the first four weeks last year. Um, he got replaced by Blunt this year. It, it started off promising. He has a big arm. He has some mobility. A big back guy there. too. He's listed at guy. six yeah. seven. Yeah, he has a bit. He has a big arm. He can move it down the field. He can make some throws out of the pocket, which at this level in the Pac-12 is huge. But it just kind of hasn't materialized yet for him. And I, I mean, at this point, it's safe to wonder if it ever will. He, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You never know with the high ankle sprain. Obviously, we've been dealing with it with Jawan Winfrey, yeah. which has been kind of a week-to-week type of thing. And then he and was, Coach Chev said earlier this week that when he was in the NFL, there were guys who would miss three weeks, but then there were guys that would miss the entire season and would kind of lag on. So it's kind of the, the high ankle sprain is just an unknown, like a hamstring. Yeah, it's sense. just one of those injuries that can linger. It can come back. It, it just is kind of always there, at least for for the entire season, if you heard it early, which uh, Luton did. I think it was in week three. Jawan was in week two against Nebraska. So if we're comparing the two, this is kind of Luton's week to come back, but yeah. he probably won't look himself. No, look he, like he himself. definitely won't. And I don't think Connor Blunt will, will, Blunt will play either. It's usually a week. You usually miss at least a week with a concussion. But I think the Buffs have gotten Oregon State at the perfect time on their schedule logistically wise with the win this week, they clinch a bowl berth, which is huge. I mean, it should be the expectation for a program like this to be making a bowl with right. the amount of talent that they have on the right, roster. this type of program, but it just yeah. hasn't been the last 10 years. So, no. so it is a, an accomplishment to make a bowl game. And yeah. So you're right about that. It's perfect timing. It really is. They, yeah. They're coming off two games against the top two of the top teams in the PAC 12. I won't say the top teams in the PAC 12, but so two hardest teams on their schedule yeah. as well as road games. So it's a, it's a perfect time to play the worst team in the Pac-12 to kind of get that mojo back, get the get their confidence back, and realize that they do have everything in front of them. And not only that, I think it could be a cons- confidence booster for the rest of the way. Remember, after Utah beat USC, the Pac-12 South is still wide open. And the good part for the Buffs is that they get Utah at home, which is, you know, in the world of college football, that makes a night and day type of difference. But after Oregon State, they travel to Tucson to play Arizona. Then they get Utah at home. And then for their final game of the year at home for senior night, they play Washington State. And then they travel to Cal for their very last game of the year. I'm thinking at this point that eight and four is probably where their floor is at win loss wise uh, with losses to Washington State at Utah, who are the two. I think the two best teams in the Pac-12, at least right now, it's a week-to-week thing, but at least right now, and I think that they're definitely going to beat Cal, Oregon State, and um, Arizona as well on the road. I mean, it's it's a little tough uh, on the road against Arizona. Tucson, it's just a funky place to play late November. I mean, we've seen it's also it. a Friday night game coming yeah. off a 
uh, week that they do have to play the Saturday before. So that, that's yeah. always an interesting. Yeah, but they they the good news is they have a home game uh, a home game the week before, mm-hmm. so they get to rest up a little bit. But yeah, nonetheless, that is kind of funky. At the same time, I think Arizona is a little bit too much in a stage of influx for them to be able to beat the Buffs, who especially are, with yeah. what looks. I'm going to assume that Khalil Tate probably won't play. It doesn't look like he's going to play for a, a little while here. To be honest, I know this is we're veering off topic a little bit. I would sit him out the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, his ankle sprain affects who he is as a player compl- more than pretty much any other position, right? Because he's not a pure pocket passer. I think we've seen that week after week. He's best when he's able to get, make plays on the move and run. And with the ankle sprain, you really can't do that. You have next to no mobility, and I think Rhett Rodriguez fits the mold that Kevin Sumlin's looking for more anyway. I I mean, I'm not saying bench Tate for the rest of his collegiate career, but I think for the immediate time being in the short term, I would just just cut the cord with Tate. I think they've realized that maybe letting him start the season, because he did start the season with the injury, letting him play those first few games was probably a bad idea. Had they have sat him the first few weeks, we would probably be watching a healthy Khalil Tate, and I would be much more scared about that Friday night game in Tucson. Yeah, it's it's just kind of hard to watch him when you turn on an Arizona game, a play that he'd take to the house or break off like a 30, 40-yard gain like he did last year. He's picking up like five yards. So it's clear that he's not close to 100%. He probably isn't even 70 or 80%. He's probably more like 50. I, I just think it's not a good idea. It to has play been him. tough to watch, yeah. that's for sure. You, yeah. you want to see the Khalil Tate that we saw in Boulder, and he, yeah. you haven't gotten it this year, and I, don't, I think you're right. I don't think we'll get it this season. Yeah. I mean, for, for the rest of the way, though, what's your score prediction with, for, the, for the Buffs record? I'm, I'm saying they're going to be 8-4. and four. I think Washington – I mean, I think they have the potential to steal a game against Utah or Washington State at home. But the fact of the matter is I just think both of these teams – and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a few weeks. But I just think those teams match up much better with the Buffs. You know what I mean? Like Utah has that really explosive run-and-shoot offense with the really mobile running quarterback. The Buffs haven't really seen that thus far. I mean, Manny Wilkins is the closest you get, and I don't see him as much of a run threat as Huntley. They have a good run game. They have some good receivers, and they're much, much better on defense than they were last year. Yeah, I I don't even know where to start here, but I would agree with you on Utah that they're probably the toughest matchup for the CU team, even though Washington State might, they have the better record. You could argue that they've been playing well, even though Utah has played really well the last two weeks. Um, They're Washington State will be a little bit easier to stop that air raid offense. So you can just worry about the pass, which is obviously their strength. Yeah. And so, yeah, Utah, much tougher matchup because they're much better on the offensive and defensive line, which is usually where CU struggles. And, yeah, that'll be interesting. The interesting part about the rest of the season is that their two toughest games are at home. So it's yeah. just tough to tell how they're going to finish here. Um I don't think they'll lose one of these games on the road at Arizona or, no. or at Cal, and I do think they're going to be able to steal one. So I'd probably say 9-3. Nine, 9-3, nine and three. Nine and three, you think they're going to steal one? I don't know. It's just hard. I think CU's corner cornerback rotation has, has kind of worried me a little bit. Delrick, behind Delrick Abrams, they don't really have a whole lot of depth, right. to be completely honest. Dante Wigley has seemingly regressed a little bit, and he's gotten beat a lot. Trey Udofio, I think, has taken a little bit of a step forward, but there's still times where he gets beat. I just don't think this secondary really strikes a sense of fear into opposing quarterbacks. Right, but 
I, I just think schematically the way that CU plays defense, they're able to stop these yeah. passing teams a little bit better. But, yeah, we haven't really even gotten into injuries. That Chris Miller injury is going to really hurt this yeah, team. That's huge. I think he's their, one of their top two cornerbacks right right there. I, with think Del, I, I, Del wouldn't, I wouldn't say top two at this point, but I will say that he probably has the most upside. Right. And yeah. Yeah. it would have been great to have him for the rest of the season. So that's really going to hurt him. One of those guys, Trey Dofia or Dante Wigley, is going to have to step up and play yeah. a little bit better than they have this season. And it'll be interesting to see which which one is able to do that. I I kind of feel like it's Trey Dofia because he's kind of been the odd man out so far this season. So I think he's going to realize that this is kind of his shot yeah. to get that starting job. And I think he will step up his game a little bit. But if one of them doesn't, do you – I mean, something I noticed is Kyle Trago was getting a little bit more playing time in the game against Washington. I think he had like 10 snaps or something like that. But do you play three safeties? Do you bring in a Darian Rakestra or Trago and have them play more if one of these corner struggles go with this three-safety look that has not just become popular in college football but in the NFL as well? Do you try to do that more? Yeah, you're right about that. Trago probably played his most snaps or his most meaningful snaps so yeah. far this season. They took Ronnie Blackman out of that nickel package, added Trago, and kind of made Evan Worthington the nickel corner in that package and then have Trago and Fisher at safety. And they didn't stop that team very well on third no. down. They they got away with it a few times because of some penalties and that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what they go with on that nickel package. They just don't have much cornerback depth. No. I don't know. I don't really trust Evan Worthington at this point to cover guys. In coverage, no. To cover guys one on one, so I, I I don't I don't really want to see that three safety look. It does make a little bit of sense with this team and the injuries that they've had at cornerback. If Delrick Abrams picks up, it does look like he'll be able to go this week. By the way, so so that's good, but. Uh, if he picks up another injury, they might we might have to see some more or safeties. aggravates it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you, but I would like to see three safety looks, but with a different personnel package. I would like to see Darian Raystraw in there a little bit more. I think he's a, he's more of a natural coverage guy, whereas Worthington is just a guy who awkwardly jumps into coverage at times. You know what I mean? So I just think it would be kind of interesting to see that, how that that's works a good out. point. He played. Well, they moved him from wide receiver and put him at cornerback last year. I talked to Shadon Brown earlier this week, and he said that he, before they made that move, they watched a lot of uh, Rake Straw's high school tape and that he was a really good cornerback then, All-State or something like Mm -hmm. that. So, I mean, it's not like he is a stranger and just jumped into the position, you know? Yeah, it it will be interesting if if they're able to swap him with Trago because he is more of that cover, cover type of safety. So, yeah. I do think that'll be an interesting option if he's ready to go. The Buffs take on the Beavs this Saturday at 1 for homecoming weekend. Everyone, all our listeners should definitely make sure to go out and support the team. And where they are uh, at this point of time, I think think every game is much watch football from from, for the rest of the way. Mm, Especially maybe just the first half of this weekend. Yeah. But uh, half, maybe people want to go out, get lunch. Second half, it is around lunch. But right? it does look like the for the rest of the season, every game is probably going to come down to the wire. Yeah, yeah, it it really does look that way. I know people probably want to go out and do stuff with their parents in town. Chase and I are unfortunately, or well, fortunately for us, unfortunately for everyone listening, treated to luxurious press box mm-hmm. barbecue, which we munch down. <laughs> Pretty much every week, and I the had great like Bender's Bar and Grill. Bender, yeah, I had like shout out to them by the way. I know that they know about our show. Uh, I had like four sausages last time, <laughs> some potato salad. I 
completely feasted every. I completely feast every time they come in. My favorite part is the nachos that we get nachos. A- after the oh. game. Why don't they put those out before? It's, <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? Some so there's a veggie queso, there's a chicken queso, and then there's a plant. I like to try a little bit of each personally. It's nice to eat while we write our stories and you know finish up last minute stuff that we have to take care of. Why aren't those out before the game? I think that's a question for someone to call in and answer for us. Yeah. <laughs> It would be nice because that—that's my favorite part. It's—it's it's a really nice treat when we get yeah, back from oh, the Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I look forward to those—the entire elevator ride up. But anyway, moving up to the Denver sports team that is four and zero, looking excellent right now. The Denver Nuggets—they had a huge win over the Warriors a few nights ago, 198. It's it's at this point in time it's almost a miracle to hold the team to a, like that to a, over uh, to under 100 points. I mean they have five All Stars starting. You almost never see it. Teams will try to outscore them most of the time to no avail. But the Nuggets found a way to come out with a win, and good teams do that early in the season, right? When you only play 82 games. Yeah, the emphasis all off season was get better at defense, and that really looks like what what they've done, and that's been the difference so far in these first four games. They just look like a much better team defensively. Even Nikola Jokic, they they have some some guys that are really good defenders like Gary Harris that was yeah. last year and Paul Millsap as well. But now the other guys... Mason are, Plumley has played pretty well on defense. Yeah, the other guys are starting to step up and play better defensively. And that, that's been the difference so far last night against the Kings. They never had a chance to come back because the Kings just couldn't keep up with the Nuggets. And the Nuggets will always be able to score just because they move the ball so well offensively that yeah. as long as they can stop teams, they'll win a lot of games. What I love is how... They're not just moving the ball all around, but, but they're scoring from pretty much everywhere on the floor, right? They're shooting from well from beyond the arc. They're getting points in the paint. They're pretty much doing it all. But let's talk about Jokic for a second, the Joker, as they like to call him here in Denver. Last year, he averaged a double-double a game. He's been good the last few years, but he never really took the next step. This year is is he going to do it this year? Because it certainly looks like it in the early going. For from what I'm seeing, averaging 27.2 points a game and 11 and a half boards. This is a team. This is a guy the team desperately needs to be their star. Yeah, they they need to be able to work around someone. And Jokic has been the focal point of this offense the last couple of years. But it does look like he's taken another step up. That game against the Suns was. Yeah. Very impressive. He was 12 for 12 from the field, 30, I think 31 points, triple-double. He was the first player since Wilt Chamberlain to go 100% from the field over 30 points and a triple-double. Excellent, ex- excellent stat, Chase. That's a really good one. <laughs> that one's just been in my head this, this whole weekend because I was so impressed. Yeah, There's not many guys that no. I can play to Wilt Chamberlain's level. So if he can continuously get some upper 20s points per game, yeah. then, yeah, they'll win a lot of games. It's those games that where he kind of goes quiet, where he's low teens or something like that, that seems to hurt him. But, see, I'm not as worried. I, I understand what you're saying, and I completely agree, but I'm not as worried with the way the second team has looked in the early going for the Nuggets. I mean, they're able to put up points. They're able to hold their own, and not just that, but they, they've been outscoring other teams, second team. So, and in basketball, where obviously these guys can't stand out there and play 48 minutes in a game, that's huge. I mean, huge. Yeah, um, that game last week, I, I can't even remember who they were playing. Second game of the season, the second team looked better than the first team offensively. They were moving the ball around much better. And Michael Malone left them out there 
and, and just let him score. Malik Beasley looks like he's taken another step up. Watch yeah. Oren Gomez has looked good. Monte Morris, obviously. And obviously you can't forget about the former Brooklyn Net Mason, Mason Plumlee. <laughs> he's, he's, been, he's been great defensively, outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy to come off the bench and help out Jokic because he can shut down the better centers in the NBA. He might not get you as many points offensively, but he, he's a solid player, and that's kind of what they have on that entire second team. And they're going to have reinforcements pretty soon, maybe in a few months. Isaiah Thomas is supposed to get healthy. That'll help out that second team as well. Yeah. And maybe eventually even Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Well, I expect personally, I mean, obviously we'll talk about this more later when he's a little bit more in the headlines. I expect Porter to be a starter. I think at least I think that's what his upside is um, at this point in time. It'll be it would be nice to have him healthy while Will Barton is hurt. Yeah, he would be that would, a that perfect would be replacement for Will Barton. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he plays. This yeah, year. I don't think I think it from what I've heard at this point, I think he's going to take the red shirt, uh, the professional equivalent of a red shirt year, kind of mm-hmm. the way we saw Markel Fultz. I know he played a little bit later last year, but, you know, kind of the way we saw that situation unfold. It's there's some similarity there, but this, it, it would be better if it's Markel Fultz rather than uh, Ben Simmons. Just cause yeah, it would be nice to see him get going a little bit later in the year and at least yeah. get some minutes so he can feel. What, what the NBA is like. Yeah, because there's obviously going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. I know he was arguably the most talented player in the country last year with the most upside, but I think it's going to take some time to adjust to the speed of the NBA game. Anyway, the story with the Nuggets throughout the past few years has been they get off to a hot start, they're even keeled through the middle of the season, and then they completely fall apart later on. I think the story is going to be different with this year's team. I think they're more experienced. They have more, ta- arguably more talent than they had last year. I think both Harris and Jokic are going to take the next step. How do they avoid this late-season hangover that seemingly put the nail in the coffin for them? They just got to be able to, to play full games. Yeah. Last year, especially in the middle of the season, they would get big leads, like 20-point leads, 18-point leads, after the first half or sometime in the third quarter, and then they'd give it up early in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden you got a basketball game again, and they lost a few of those games last year. It's all about staying consistent throughout the entirety of the game, and then that'll help you stay consistent throughout the season. They, yeah. they just lost their focus too many times last year, and that's why they didn't win as Is many that a games. function of the coaching staff, or you, you think they were right to keep head coach on? Uh, I have different Michael Malone opinions than some others. I would have liked to see him win a little bit more until you yeah. give him an extension. But um, Listen, Maloney, I think, is liked in the locker room, though, and that goes a long way. I, from what I've heard, he's more of a player's coach, mm-hmm. and I think that's big, and he has, the, he has their trust, which is huge. Not a lot of coaches in the NBA where sal- there's inflated salaries and player egos and that type of thing. I think that goes kind of a long way, and it speaks to the type of coach he is. Yeah, you can tell that these players love to play for him. And he does get along with everybody, but there were, there were a few too many games for me last year where they gave it up late, yeah, and they weren't able to get it done last minute or so. They couldn't drop that play to win it. They were able to win a couple games later in the season, but um, for me, that was kind of my problem with Michael Malone, especially not making the playoffs and that yeah. kind of stuff. It was a little bit weird for me to see that he got an extension this past week. Yeah, he took a ton of heat, heat for it, but if he does well this year... I think he can make the fans forget about it. Obviously, we'll be talking Nuggets 
every week here on Radio 1190. But the Denver Broncos have had perhaps the most interesting week I've ever seen. They blow out the Cardinals 45-10. Then Chad Kelly, who's had a bunch of off-the-field issues um, during his collegiate career and, you know, has been kind of a headache move. He was Mr. Irrelevant to getting taken in the seventh round because of all the issues he had off the field. Von Miller throws a party. There seems to be a lot of white. We're not going to talk about illegal substances here, but powdery substances. there seems to be a lot of a powdery substance <laughs> floating around the air being spread over people. I mean, I don't know what these guys are doing, but anyway, <laughs> spread over people's faces, someone shaking a bag. Then someone, then someone, uh, Brandon Marshall says it's fake, whatever drug it is. We don't, we don't know, obviously. We're clueless with this type of thing. But whatever drug it is, uh, he, sa- he says it's a fake drug. It's a joke. Obviously, the players are going to go out. They're going to have parties, especially this time of year. It's a nice thing to build camaraderie. Vance Joseph even said it. I personally just think this whole situation, how it's blown up from a PR perspective, is just a horrible look for the team. I mean, that's just my take. Yeah, I almost forgot. It's a, that, it has to be a distraction, doesn't it? Yeah, I almost forgot that they had a blowout win last week until you mentioned yeah. it there, Jack. <laughs> there's just been so much that went on yesterday. Uh, I don't even know where to start. First of all, with Chad Kelly. We'll talk, we'll talk about that in a second. Tell, talk about the look that this gives to the team. I just think, like I said, all they're, they're going to have parties. It's inevitable. Everyone likes to go out and have fun, right? But Right. Parties are okay, but cocaine-themed parties are a little bit different. But it was just weird, like... <laughs> it was apparently you, a western like, theme party but with all the co- co- you know white powder float it's just a horror yeah, i just think it's a distraction for the team three That's different guys covered their face in powdered sugar we'll go with and um i i it just doesn't make any sense like what goes through your mind that you think getting that out publicly will ever be a good look for you or your team i don't know why they were even putting this stuff on their stories and yeah. that kind of stuff them dressed as Halloween costumes, that's fine. Ha- having a Halloween party is fine. But when you are showing off powdery substances and that kind of stuff, and then you have a guy go and get arrested on top of that, it, yeah. it was just a, a horrible look for the team. And listen, this might be a little bit of a double standard, admittedly so, but when you're a professional athlete, you're kind of held to a little bit of a higher standard. You're in the spotlight. Everyone's watching you. Baker Mayfield said earlier in the offseason when he goes to restaurants, people will tell him he's eating the wrong food. Because <laughs> No, I, you know, no, I'm funny. just trying to give you... Uh, our listeners and uh, a feel for the nature of the situation. You're kind of just in the spotlight and you have to watch how you act everywhere you go. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is when you're that famous and popular among the general public. So I just think them allowing this party to get blown completely out of proportion for what it is, is, is the mistake here. I just think you can't let that happen. Right. Especially when you're Von Miller, the guy throwing the party. I mean, you've been in the league for a while. You're a veteran. You know what the deal is. Don't don't let this become a front page headline. Right. I, some someone probably should have had that talk with him before he threw the party. Just don't let it become a headline. And you you guys go have fun, do your Halloween party. But once it becomes a headline, that's when it becomes a problem. And I just think they brought too much attention to it. Oh, most definitely. But the one event that perhaps drew the most publicity to the situation was the arrest of quarterback Chad Kelly. And I think this hurts the team from 
two different angles, one of which it's a, it's, it's a distract, distraction like we talked about. Second of which, it's just kind of strange. I mean, the guy got, he got arrested previously for fighting at a bar, having possession of a weapon. This time, he stumbles into a random person's house and sits down on their couch. I mean, and gets arrested for trespassing. Now, us here in Boulder don't really have admittedly a big, a large idea of what trespassing is, you know, walking into each other's houses and, you know, the open door type thing. We don't, but in the world, I mean, you can't make this stuff up with this guy. You can't get arrested for doing stuff like this if you're Kelly. At this stage of your career, you, you're, not at, you're not at Clemson. You're not at Ole Miss. You have to act like an adult. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Have you ever been inebriated and not known where you're going? Like, I don't understand what goes no. through your head to just walk into someone's house, especially because he, like, went back to the party afterwards. Like Apparently, he walked two blocks away, walked into some random person's house, sat down on the couch, and when they asked him who he was, he mumbled incoherently. I mean, no part of that situation is even remotely excusable for who he is. I, I almost think you have to be on something more than alcohol to just walk into someone's house randomly. Like, it I mean, I, I've never yeah. not known where I am. I, I mean, I don't care what substance on you, you're on. I mean, that's not anyone else's business. But you need to you need to have some control over yourself, right. When you're in his situation, and given especially you, especially, especially as a professional path. athlete, yeah, you you know that you've had a pass. You know that you have a short leash as well. You know that if you make one mistake, you're probably going to be cut. That's what they told him when they drafted him. So. I, I, I just don't know what, what was going through that kid's mind. And for, from a team standpoint, and perhaps the worst part of the situation, I think he was on the way to becoming the Broncos starter, personally. I mean, he'd making large strides forward throughout not just training camp, but the preseason. He pretty much wrestled and stole the backup quarterback job from Paxton Lynch. He's finally recovered from the offseason wrist surgery. And... There were fans chanting his name at the last home game, so I don't think he was that far from starting, especially if the team struggled the next few weeks. I think that's the worst part of this. Basically, all he had to do was stay out of trouble, and he ends up walking into a stranger's house. Walking into a stranger's house and ending his Broncos career. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no worse worse situation, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's completely harmless, but they... When when you, you can't be getting at this point, you can't. The team can't have that type of publicity, mm-hmm. and they can't have that image where they're going to give guys four, five, six, seven shots. I mean, he got arrested previously for a different thing, right? What he did, I don't think, is very harmful. But the sheer fact that he was in the state of mind where he did do it, I think that's where the problem lies. Right, and him having these problems before it really hurt his draft stock obviously that's why he was Mr. Irrelevant was because he had some problems in the past he got kicked out of Clemson those types of things and then you you just have to know once you get to the NFL if you make one mistake you're probably gone yeah. it, if you have a past and obviously. it's really just not worth it to risk your entire career to, for one night of stupidity you know what i mean like in the in the off season you know do do your thing go to go back to South Carolina, visit friends, you know, have a low-key get-together. But don't be walking around completely clueless in some crazy state of mind, walking into – I mean, when I – when we – this news was broke in the press the, – the news of this happening was broke when we were sitting – well, at least I was sitting in the press room here at the Champion Center before the football conference and press conference, and everyone was just shocked. I mean, like, clueless. Like, first of all, is trespassing a felony? None of us knew that. It's just like something out of a movie. It was just so strange. 
I don't know. I, I mean, I just don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it, it was just a weird situation for someone that, that has a clear past that should just know to be able to do the right thing right now. And, and had high upside, in my opinion. Right. He, on he the probably, field. You're probably right that he, he was on his way to the starting job or, or at least significant minutes at, as a quarterback in the NFL, whether the Broncos are getting crushed or crushing teams like they were this past weekend. Yeah. He was going to get some playing time, and yeah. he was going to have a chance to prove himself for a job with the Broncos or a job with someone else, and now it, he's probably going to end up in the Canadian Football League. Yeah, unfortunately for him, but, you know, it's the price you pay. I know he's only 24 years old, but you can't be making these mistakes once you're, once you're in the National Football League. Anyway, the team did get back on track last Thursday night against the Arizona Cardinals, destroying them, the lowly Cardinals, that is, at this point, after they fired coordinate, offensive coordinator Mike McCoy. They beat them 41-10, and they had two defensive touchdowns, which is huge. Um, I think they got back on track. But is this, is this hiccup along the way something that affects them the rest of the season? Is it kind of like a few years ago when Odell and the Giants' wide receiving core went on a vacation uh, to Miami the week before they went to Green Bay for a playoff game? They lost that playoff game, and the team has never been the <laughs> same since then. Is this, are we going to look back at it and look at it like that? Yeah, they got back on track just to go completely off the rails again is what it looked like to me. This team just doesn't look like uh, a team that has a lot of leadership. Von Miller is supposed to be one of their leaders. He obviously wasn't on Monday night. So I think when you don't have great coaching, you don't have solid leadership. Case Keenum is obviously a different story. He's a solid leader, but they just don't have that much around them. And I think that's kind of how you see teams fall apart. So I won't be surprised to see it at all. I did think that they were started going in the right direction, started looking like a team that might be able to win a few games this season, but uh, everything seemed to come to a halt. Yeah, I, I think I personally think their defense is going to give them the best shot the rest of the way. They have Bradley Chubb, who's really come into his own uh, recently over the past few weeks. He's one of the league leaders in sacks now, actually. He has five and a half, which is more than Miller, something that almost none of us expected despite his high upside. I think that's going to be how they get back because their offense, they just really don't have that much explosiveness. Emmanuel Sanders is having arguably and surprisingly one of the best years of his career. Demarius Thomas seems headed for the exit at this point. And, you know, their run game is really good b between Lindsey and Royce Freeman, but they don't really have that offense that's going to go out there and put 35 points on the board every week, like the Rams or, you know, some of the other teams in the league. Right. It and this Broncos team has seen it the past few years. It's really about how many turnovers can the defense create for you, how, how, many, how much good field position can this defense create for you, and if they can do that with the strip sacks and the interceptions like we have seen when this team wins, then they will be able to win some more games. But how many times can this defense make plays? You're asking if it's sustainable the rest of the right. way, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, what's really impressed me is how their secondary – has stepped up. Bradley Roby, who had a week to forget against the Rams and the Jets, for that matter, looked much better. I know Arizona is probably the worst team or, you know, in the top five bottom teams in the league. But at the same time, a win in the National Football League is a win. So that's all that matters. Their secondary has looked great. I think that's the that's the most encouraging part of the situation. They have looked better, and they're going to get um, Sue Cravens back pretty soon. So, so that'll help out the secondary even more. And yeah, if they can force some turnovers and 
give this offense good field position, then they'll be able to win some games. Yeah, but, and Case Keenum doesn't turn the ball over because he's leading the league in interceptions right now, and that's probably cost them a game or two at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. But against it, they, they have a tough game this week, perhaps the toughest on their schedule. Yeah, probably the toughest on their schedule. They travel to Arrowhead Stadium to face off against the Kansas City Chiefs where Patrick Mahomes has been electric, to say the least, at home. They're currently eight-point underdogs. Personally, I think they have a chance to beat this team because last time they got a good pass rush on Mahomes, which is is the proven way to get him out of rhythm and shake him off a little bit. They were close in that one. Uh, If it weren't for that last-minute drive in the fourth quarter, I personally think they have a chance. If they can get a good pass rush on him, if they can get an early lead to take the crowd out of the game a little bit, I think those two things will allow them to have a chance at a victory, at least a chance. We'll see. I I do think they have a little bit of a chance, but that offense just looks unstoppable at this point. I don't even know if the Broncos have enough um, to be able to slow down that offense with Kareem Hunt running the way that he is right now. It's just multidimensional, which makes it really unstoppable. Kareem Hunt didn't get off to the greatest start the but first, he's been first few the weeks. But he's been excellent the past two weeks. He's right. been outstanding. With him looking the way that he has been the last couple of weeks, I think that offense is just too tough to stop. If they do get some pressure on Mahomes, it'll be a little bit different. But I'm more worried about Kareem Hunt than I am Patrick you de- Mahomes You definitely bring point. up a really good point because last time they played uh, against the Chiefs, they were able to stop Hunt. It was Travis Kelsey in the fourth quarter who pretty much torched them. But the Chiefs don't just have Kelsey. They have Tyreek Hill, who's one of the league leaders in receiving yards. They have Sammy Watkins, who's expected to be back this year, uh, this week, excuse me. And they have Chris Conley. So the secondary is really going to need to step up once again, they can't just trust the pass rush, especially with Mahomes' escapability. You know, mm-hmm. he's not a pure pa- pocket passer, and I kind of have a feeling that Andy Reid's going to uh, pull more tricks out of the hat. He's going to have more of these bubble screens, quick slants, screen, you know, sc- basic screen passes, more delayed runs. I think he's just going to have more trickery up his sleeve to keep this defense off balance. Yeah, and the Chiefs are just really good at running the run-pass option. Mahomes... Yeah. seems to dominate that play. And that's one thing, kind of, not to bring it back to the buffs, but I always, whenever I watch football, I usually just end up thinking about the buffs. It's one thing that the buffs just haven't been able to do very well. Montez just hasn't been able to run an RPO the way that it's supposed to be ran. It seems like he makes the wrong read at times or he overthrows his receiver on the slant. He was one for five on RPOs last week. I saw a statistic earlier, courtesy of Rivals.com. Great statistics. Because, yeah, yeah, he he just doesn't seem comfortable running that type of play, which I like to compare Montez to Mahomes because they do have a lot of similar traits, but the accuracy over the middle just seems like the biggest difference right now. And And the deep ball. Mahomes has excellent deep ball. Right, and I, I wish Montez would just watch... Mahomes run an RPO a few times and and learn from that because it seems like he makes the right read every time and he's able to hit Tyreek Hill over the middle and in stride so that Tyreek can now, go, gran- go gran- and do granted his thing. Montez doesn't have a Tyreek Hill. It, he has one. He has a couple guys that are obviously I think not Tyreek K- Hill. KD is the KD Nixon is the closest to a yeah, Tyreek Hill. KD when they run that RPO he is able to get open on a slant. KD's great off the release. He gets open. It just doesn't seem like Montez is able to hit him or Montez ends up running the ball. Yeah. 
at, at this at this point, I'd have to agree with you on this one. I hate to go on another buffs tangent. No, but no, no, no. There's there's <laughs> never a bad. You know what? There's never a bad time to go on a buffs tangent here on Radio 1190, especially considering we we're with you know we cover the team week in and week out. You know, it's our it's our, our beat, so we always have to bring. Mm-hmm everything back to them right i think <laughs> i think that part of it is realistic but going back to the that comparison yeah I, I think i think it's a good one mahomes probably has a little bit had a little bit more upside coming out of college but i think if montez becomes a little bit more smarter with the football he can definitely fit into that mode and more accurate if he's able to hit those balls over the middle and hit more deep balls then i can see it that's that's why montez needs another year in college yeah that's i i would have to Agree with that point. Anyway, we'll get you updated on high school scores here at 1190, and then we will sign off for the day. Fairview defeated Podre High School in Fort Collins 56-14. to They're now 7-1 and on the season before their last game. Once again, they'll travel to Fort Collins, enemy, enemy territory, obviously with the Rams play and Fairview being in Boulder, a little bit of a Buffs Rams rivalry, and they'll play against Rocky Mountain High School next weekend. That'll be their last game of the season before the playoffs open up. Aiden Atkinson Aiden still, still leads happen? the nation in touchdowns and passing yards, which is very impressive. Yeah. And as long as they are able to throw the ball as well as they do, they're just really hard to stop. So, yeah, yeah. I, I see them finishing out the season with a couple of wins, and it'll be interesting to see what they do in playoffs because there's some really good teams in the state of Colorado. Cherry Creek Cherry looks Creek. almost unbeatable right now. Alex Padilla's their quarterback, he's committed to Iowa, and he got an offer from Georgia two weeks ago. They they look very tough to beat, both offensively and defensively. Defensively, their top player on defense is Alec Pell, who's committed to the Buffs right now. So Cherry Creek's going to be tough to beat. I don't think Fairview can beat them, and Valor as well. Just looks. I mean, Valor Valor's always hard to beat. They pretty much have an entire coaching staff consisting of former NFL players. Anytime that's the case at the high school level, I imagine the team's not going to be easy to beat. Right, by. they're able to get their, their guys ready to play yeah. at, at a different level than maybe some other coaches that are just It's like the Alabama, Alabama of Colorado high school football. Right, much, and right? Luke McCaffrey was injured this past week. They were still able to beat uh, my alma mater, the Thunder Ridge Grizzlies, even though Thunder Ridge is a top 10 team, so... Without, if they're able to do that without Luke McCaffrey, they're probably able to be any team in Colorado. But I do think it'll come down to Fairview, Valor, and Cherry Creek. That'll be interesting. Once we get to the playoffs. I want see the thing. The thing with Atkinson that's intriguing about this situation is if he turns it on to another level in the playoffs, does he maybe garner a little bit more national attention? I eventually I think he he will just because he's so dominant. Yeah, he but is. The way that they're able to split four wide receivers out and basically tell you that they're going to throw every single play and then it still works every single they time. Ru- they run the high school, from what I've seen at least, just turning on the tape and watching some series, is they run the high school co- equivalent of the air raid offense, seemingly right. so, yeah. Right. It, it looks like Washington State or someone like that. They just love to throw the ball and – I think you can beat any team when you run that type of offense. Obviously, you can also lose to any team, too, but yeah. that's what makes the playoffs so it, interesting. As, as long as your X is better than their O, I think you'll pretty much dominate the mm-hmm. offensive side of the ball. At least that's my take. Anyway, on the other side of town, Boulder High School lost to the far Northeast Warriors 38-10. They're now 3-6 and six in the year, and they have a game against Adam City, which will be their last of the season. Looks like it's 
football season for them is going to be over. I mean, one of these days, we should have brought on our Boulder high school football expert, James Margulius. We should have. That's a good idea. Maybe he's doing homework or something like that. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't been able to watch Boulder play, so I can't. I yeah. have too much insight on that. But I'm sure James would. Yeah, know. he's their play. He does play by play for them on radio, so that would be a good idea. Maybe we could have him call in next week to recap the season. Anyway, we'll have full coverage of the Buffs, Nuggets, the Broncos. We'll reflect. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about the abs eventually, too. Yeah, we'll, we'll I, I get keep on pushing Jack for that one. Yeah, well, we have to do it eventually. <laughs> we'll, next week will be the week. Mark They're my second word. in the conference right now. They play the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight on national TV, which will be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, both teams only have one loss on the season. So. They did embarrassingly, embarrassingly lose to the New York Rangers. Yeah, you so. keep on bringing that up, Jack, but... <laughs> <laughs> kind of snatches but, your pride a little bit away when that happens, right? Yeah, that that was their one kind of falter on the year. So uh, we'll see what they're able to do against the Lightning, but we will be able to get into some more Avs talk. Anyway, we'll have that all next week right here on the Ra- Howell Stern Show on Radio 1190. Have a good weekend, Buff fans, and enjoy the warm weather for homecoming.